Well, it's good to be back again. I think I turned my mic on. I think this is off. Ah. How's that? How's that? Better? Good. And if it's too loud, move further back. <laughs> anyway, uh, the pastor mentioned glorious hymns. You know, it's a fascinating thing. We're in different churches every Sunday, and almost every Sunday. And uh, we go to churches. We were at a church, and they asked, does anybody have a favorite something they'd like to sing? And Genity said, could we sing A Mighty Fortress Is My God? And the song leader said, uh, I, I, don't, I don't think I've heard that one before. Uh, we go to churches where they, they don't know any hymns. They've never sung a hymn. It's unbelievable. They're missing out on the doctrine that's there in hymns, as well as the joy and, and the way to worship God. Uh, so we're in an interesting time. And we uh, tonight are going to talk a little bit about creation evangelism. We've been talking about uh, creation versus evolution. And the uh, true observable science is always in support of the Bible, if it's true science. Now, if it's science based on a lot of uh, false assumptions, I'm going to move this down here, uh, then it's not true science. And that is what Big Bang uh, to molecules to life to man over millions of years, that's what um, evolution is. And there isn't anything to support that. Even though the average person in the average church and the average Christian is believing some sort of evolution. Because we think the scientists have proven it. And they have not. So, we'll talk a little bit about creation evangelism. And I entitled this one uh, engaging the lost with answers and hope, but almost everybody loves animals. And I have to say almost, because if I would say everybody loves animals, somebody would say, well, I don't. So I just say, well, almost everybody loves animals. And uh, God says this in Job chapter 12, 79, but now ask the beasts, and they shall teach thee, and the fowls of the air, and they shall tell thee, or speak to the earth, and it shall teach thee, and the fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee. Who knoweth not in all these that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this? In other words, everybody knows just by studying the creation, God did it. There isn't any way it could be here unless there is a God who created it, designed it, spoke it into existence, put the information in the DNA, uh, there's no way. And that's what God is saying there. Who knoweth not? In other words, everybody knows. That means there's no such thing as an atheist. Deep down in their heart, they know there is a God. So they're willingly ignorant of these things. Now, I want us to start. Well, you say you've already started. I want us to pick up from here and uh, read a little bit out of Acts chapter 17. Okay, Acts chapter 17. So if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn to Acts chapter 17, and we will go down to verse 23. Acts 17, verse 23. Now, Paul is there on Mars Hill. He's speaking to a bunch of pagans, okay? Well, where does he start with people that don't have any history in the Bible? They're not like the Jews. The Jews knew the history. 
Uh, but the, the, the pagans did not know anything about the history. And so he, where is he going to start? He's going to start with the creation. So Acts chapter 17, go down to verse 23. For Paul is speaking, let's start with 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and he said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you, God that made the world. So he goes right to the creation. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwells not in temples made with hands, neither is worshiped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men. Wait, what's that? All one blood. We are all from Adam and then from Noah. Uh, there are not multiple races of people on planet Earth. We are all of one blood. We can all take blood transfusions from each other, one way or another. We are one people, the race of Adam. So there's one race of people, one true race of people. Now there's different ethnic groups, and there's been different adaptations, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight, but we all come from Adam. And then he goes on, uh, we're all one blood, and he says, and has determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. So God knows the borders of each country and where they are, and he has a time for all of them. And then it says that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. So he's kind of talking here to these pagans, and he's saying, look, there's a creator, and he is God, and he's right here. He's not far, he's right here. Uh, and then he says, for in him we live and move and have our being, as certain of your own poets have said, by the way, that was Epimenides, uh, have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like under gold or silver or stone or graven by art and man's devices, in other words, little idols that men have made. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he has raised him from the dead, though Jesus is the Savior, and when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them. I think we'll stop there. Uh, the resurrection got some of them. Ah, can't handle that. Uh, on college campuses, students will come up to me and they'll say, I believe in Jesus, but I can't, I, I just can't handle this resurrection stuff. Am I going to heaven? No. No, I believe in Jesus. So does the devil. Okay. Without resurrection, according to 1 Corinthians 15, we're still in our sin. 
So if Jesus was not raised from the dead, the death of Adam has not been conquered, which was the result of Adam's sin. So since Jesus took our sin on himself and died, tombstone, graveyard, three days dead, he wasn't swooning, he was dead, then he came up from the dead at the resurrection. And so the resurrection is part of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15. Alright, so Job says, if you study my creation, God says through Job, if you study my creation, you're going to know there is a God. That's called general revelation. The study of the creation. Special or specific revelation is the study of God's word. And when we study the creation, it should make us think, you know what? There's got to be a God to make an orchid like that. To make a, a, a cow with all those different bellies and does all these different things and comes out with white milk, you know? I mean, there's got to be a God that did that. And, uh, well, I'm going to move on. Our God uses animals to stimulate interest in Him, their Creator. Dallas Morning News had some articles a little while back on these cameras that are zeroed in. They're a stationary camera, like zeroed in on an eagle's nest. And it's on all the time. And hundreds of thousands of people are looking at these cameras, what they're producing. And there might be an empty eagle nest. And they'll watch it and watch it and watch it and hope some eagle's going to land there. Or the, or the eagle will lay an egg or two. And then they're going to wait and they're going to, oh, I don't want to miss it. I want to see those eggs hatch. And... Uh, so anyway, people love animals. They're curious about animals. Isaiah 42 says, Thus saith the Lord God, God the Lord, He that created the heavens and stretched them out, He that spread forth the earth and that which comes out of it, He that giveth breath unto the people upon it and spirit to them that walk therein, I am the Lord, that is my name. And my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. So God says, I won't share my glory. Well, evolution robs God of his glory. It steals his praise. What's the whole reason to have evolution? Get rid of God. Now, what's our job? 1 Peter 3.15 But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. So the Bible teaches a worldview and it answers all the big questions in life. Who, what, when, why, where, how. It answers all the big questions Many of us can't give an answer. And that's one of the reasons we're losing so many of our children to world to Satan's world system. They get out there and people say, Oh my, you do you mean to tell me you really believe that there was a Noah and he got those millions of animals on that little boat? And then we don't know what to do next. And so we can't answer the questions. Uh, here's another one, Jude 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. That's our job. Earnestly contend for the faith. This is only about 30 years after Jesus was here, and already the saints are having to be encouraged to do, exhorted to do what we're supposed to be doing. And it's still that way. Because the average Christian doesn't share the gospel with anybody, according to statistics. Here's another one, Mark 16, 15. 
He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And then we have Ephesians 2, verse 10. Most of you know 2, 8, 9. How's 2, 8, 9 going? For by grace, save through faith, not itself, gift of God, time is all, lest anyone should boast. That's a little bit weak, okay? All right, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We're saved by grace through faith. And then we have verse 10. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Well, one of those is evangelism. And by the way, I don't know if I mentioned it, but that word workmanship, the, the Greek root of that word is the root word for poetry. When we are doing the works that God has prepared beforehand, we walk in them, of which evangelism is one of those works, we are God's expression of poetry to the watching world. So you would have to say, well, what kind of a poem are people reading with my life? Are they reading a happy, joyful poem? Or are they reading a nasty, snippy, grumpy poem? What kind of poem are they reading with my life? Well, Romans 1 says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. Let's, let's pray for the Jews. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it's written, the just shall live by faith. So even when we go out to share the gospel, we're living by faith. Lord, I'm going to go out and share the gospel today. I'm scared. Uh, well, what do we do? Pray first. That's the first step. Pray first. Well, uh, family, uh, next time we go to Walmart, we are going to give a tract to somebody. And uh, we haven't done that before. So let's just pray God will lead us to the right person to give a tract to. And then somebody in the family says, I'll be the one to give it to him. So, okay. Someone said, whew, I'm glad he volunteered. Uh, and, uh, and so you, you, you pray. Lord Jesus, show us the right person. A divine appointment here. When we get over into Walmart, we want to give a tract to somebody. And so you get over to Walmart. And then uh, one person in the family goes up to somebody and says, How's your day today? Well, I'm having a pretty good day. Well, I, I have something I'd like to give to you. Well, now that kind of takes some action, and so everybody else now is praying. Well, Lord, now, what's, what's going to happen here? Uh, so the prayer team is in full swing here while the other person is talking. We pray first. Now, if we're going to do creation evangelism, we need to establish there's a creator. Well, that's what Paul did. When Paul went to the pagans, I just read it, Acts 17, he wanted to establish there is a creator. Well, how do we do that? Well, start talking about something in the creation. Now, we've given you some examples. I ask everybody to please get a free copy of my book. And in between each chapter, we've got an animal like a giraffe or a vomitor beetle. All you have to do is read the chapter. That's just a few pages. Learn a few things about it. And we'll talk about that in a minute. By the way, somebody asked uh, those video clips we showed last night. Was that last night? Uh, are they anywhere on anything we have? Yes. Our, our set here, the Evolution of a Creationist, has this extra disc with it. And that's where those video clips are, of like Lucy. And even uh, 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 Lawrence Krauss saying, 
Forget Jesus. The stars died for you. Those are all on here. And the dinosaur tissue, that's on here too. So we're going to donate a set of all this to your church here so you'll have it. You can get one if you want it, but we'll give one to the church. Anyway, uh, so find something you feel kind of comfortable talking about and then be ready to use it when God gives you the opportunity. And many times it's just you just plant a little thought in someone and then sometimes they're going to, as soon as you start to say something or try to hand them a track, oh no, you're one of those Christians. I mean, you judge everybody. You tell everybody they're going to hell. And then they turn and they walk away. Well, are you discouraged? No, you're not discouraged. I mean, you pray for them. You planted a seed. And God is working somehow with them. Because otherwise they wouldn't react at all, probably. Okay? So God is working on them, and you're just planting some seeds. Maybe you're doing a little watering, and God is moving along there. And uh, then uh, you depend on prayer. So they walk away from you. You're praying, Lord Jesus, uh, save that person's soul. Give them somehow uh, a knowledge of God, an understanding of the God. Open up their heart to you, and, and you pray for them as they go away. And, but you don't get discouraged. There's no reason to get discouraged. All right. By the way, you don't get rejected very often. I mean, we've, we've had some real interesting ones. Uh, but they're interesting. And uh, we might talk about a few forward, but we'll see. Anyway, if they continue to show some interest, and most times they do. Uh, you know, my daughter's thought about creating these uh, creation cards, these animal cards. They're little tracks. Okay, and it has an animal on it, and we want each family to pick up a box of these. Okay, there's 50 in a box, and there's like seven or eight of the same animal. I don't know, there's like nine animals or something in each box, I don't remember. Pick up a box, that's our gift, and uh, even toll booth operators take these, okay? Like, you go up to, we're on toll roads all the time, they're turning some of our interstate highways into toll roads back east. So you get on the interstate and you think you can zoom in, you're going through toll booth, toll booth, toll booth. I'm not going to talk about those kinds of things. Let's keep moving. Uh, this, uh, a toll booth operator, you'll go, hey, uh, you ever heard of a nudibranch? No, a nudibranch? What's a nudibranch? Well, would you like to read about it? Well, sure. Thank you. So they thank us for giving them a track. And uh, it has some scripture on the back, a little bit about the animal. And why is that doing that today? I don't know. Should we try and put it to see if it's out? Maybe. Uh, let's see if that works. <laughs> Much better. Uh, so if they continue to show some interest, the whole idea is to get over to the Creator and the fact that Jesus is the Creator, John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, Jesus is the Creator. That gives Him the right, the authority, <laughs> to be the Savior. If He created you, He can save you because you're His that way. Okay? We're His creation. Um, then you might, maybe you know a little bit about a young earth, something about a young earth. Hey, uh, do you know they found carbon-14 in diamonds? No, I didn't know that. Well, they did. You mean you haven't read that anywhere? No. 
Well, there's a reason you haven't read it anywhere, because we live in Satan's world system, and you're going to hell. No, 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 you don't do it that way. <laughs> That's not the way to do it. Uh, uh, but you can bring up something like that and say, yeah, yeah, they have not proven. Over the last 15 years, there's carbon-14 in every single diamond sample that they have dug up. Well, where can you get that? You can go to icr.org. Look up the RATE project, R-A-T-E, radioisotopes in the age of the earth, R and RATE, and it'll tell you all about it. And by the way, you know what? If there's carbon-14 in diamonds, that means those diamonds aren't very old. A few thousand years at the very most. And uh, that means got to be a creator. That means it couldn't happen by chance. And, it, and his name is Jesus. And uh, you, you can find these different things. Talk about that soft dinosaur tissue, red blood cells. Mount St. Helens, those, those polystrata fossils. We're watching them form. Run take hundreds of thousands of years. Uh, information. You can say somebody, hey, you know, we're told there's lots of information in the DNA. Where does the information come from? How does it get in there? Most people don't even know what DNA is, <laughs> so you'll discover you better go to a different subject. Uh, so you talk about some kind of creature, some part of science that supports a young earth. It easily leads into the gospel. And we're not trying to convince people to be a creationist. We're just trying to get their attention. We're trying to engage them. And it's getting more and more difficult. Because people walking down the street, they got earbuds in. They're texting. You can't get their eye. They can't hear you. And if you tap them on the shoulder, that's harassment. Uh, what do you do these days? Okay, just accidentally bump into them or something. Uh, now, I think the slow loris is a good one. This, how many of you have studied the slow loris? Not many. Uh, how many of you have our Amazon DVD? You've got it? You've got it. How many don't have it? Well then, so you probably never heard of a slow loris, right? You can't find the information, but it's there. It's the only venomous primate. It's a venomous primate. There is no such thing. Yep, that's it. Its venom glands are right here under its arm. And when it needs venom, it quickly licks the gland, and when it mixes it with saliva, that activates it. And then our creator, the Lord Jesus, we know he's the creator. It tells us that three times in the New Testament. Where does it tell us that? John 1. Colossians 1, Hebrews 1. I've told you that at least five times. All right. So, you say, yeah. So, our creator built grooves on the back of his cuspids. And when he bites into something, he takes his tongue and squirts the poison down in there. Why doesn't the poison kill him? That's a PhD problem for somebody. I haven't found the answer to that. Okay. Uh, by the way, they will lick that poison all over their babies. And then if something comes and wants to eat the baby, it'll smell the poison, and it won't eat it. Or it'll bite it, and then, I am a... And it doesn't want to eat it. Uh, they're, they're on the endangered, endangered list. As far as we know, there's only seven of them in the United States of America. And by God's grace, we got to film one out at David Jackson's Animal Sanctuary in California. And they're small, about like this. This one's on this red towel. And the reason is, you hold it in something, because if it grabs a hold of your coat, you, it doesn't let go. You've got to cut your coat. It, it, it's grip. It's like steel. Slow loris. So you could just say to someone, well, I'll give a question or two here in a minute. Uh, the macaw. 
You know, a lot of birds, their color depends on their diet, like a flamingo. It's going to be pink if it eats the right food. If it doesn't eat the right food, it won't be pink. But the macaw has these five different types of cells that produce the color, and it doesn't matter what it eats. Where does that come from? But here's the interesting thing. Those parrots, those macaws, will eat poison berries. One of the types of poison berries is called a hura berry, H-U-R-A, down in the Amazon. And it's going to kill it, okay? So it eats the berries, and it's going to die. Except it doesn't die. Why? Because after it eats the berries, it flies over to a bank on the Amazon and eats the clay. And the clay detoxifies the poison in the berries. Now, how, how does evolution explain that? Oh, that's easy. That's a learned behavior. Why, they learned that from Grandma and Grandpa McCall. That told them, if you eat those berries, you better eat the clay or you're dead. Well, hang on a minute. Let's say Grandma and Grandpa McCall decided to eat the berries. They fill up their tummy with those berries, and Grandpa says to Grandma, Oh, Grandma, let's take a nap. Isn't it nice to have a full tummy? Grandma says, Yeah, let's just take a nap. So they take a nap. They're dead. They didn't go eat the clay. Well, how is a dead Grandma and Grandpa going to teach their grandkids not to eat the berries without eating the clay? It's not a learned behavior. The information to do that was put in there by the Creator, our Lord Jesus. So you can say to somebody, hey, did you know that parrots can eat poison berries and survive? No, I didn't know that. Yes. How do they survive? Do you know how they survive? No. Well, after they eat the berries, they have to go eat clay, certain clay there on the bank of the Amazon. and. That detoxifies the berries and kind of lines their intestine and they don't suck in the poisons and, it, and they do just fine. And you know what? There's got to be a God to create them like that. And uh, yeah, you know what? That does sound kind of like, yeah. And you know what? The Bible tells us his name is Jesus. And you can just talk, ask questions. This is a good one for like 12-year-old boys or 13-year-old boys. You see them, you're at a mall or something. Here comes two or three or four of them. You look, hey, hey, you guys look intelligent. And they, oh, yeah, of course, you know. And they say, well, can you name an animal that steals its defense mechanism? And they'll say, what? And then you say, can you name an animal that steals its defense mechanism? They'll say, no. And you say, well, it's called a nudibranch. And uh, this is what it looks like. They're some of the most beautiful animals on planet Earth. Most people never heard about them. Why? Because they steal their defense mechanism. They eat things like anemones and the jellyfish have those stinging cells. But when they eat it, they don't set off the stinging cell. Those cells are under pressure. You bump into a jellyfish, bang, 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 bang. It literally shoots those little shot cells into you. They're called nematocysts. It eats things that have those and doesn't set off the cells. By the way, for some of you, that might be a PhD in marine biology, what's going on here? And, but it eats it, digests what it wants, and it has this little handful of these little, probably not a handful, but these little stinging cells. And it makes them have a stronger pop. It potentiates them. And then our creator built into their skin and their gills little tubes. And it takes those cells, puts them in those tubes, puts it out into its skin, up into its gills, and the defense mechanism of what it eats becomes its defense mechanism. 
There's no way that could evolve. Yeah, it sounds like it. Well, that means there's got to be a creator. And you can talk about Jesus. Or you can say, uh, have you ever heard of an I-I? An I-I? What's an I-I? Well, it's a primate down in Madagascar. And here's one. Would you like it? Well, yeah. Well, you see, this little animal does what woodpeckers do because there's no woodpeckers in Madagascar. So it climbs up the tree, taps on, taps on the tree, it listens, it hears the grubs down in there, and then it'll chew down in there and get the grubs. So it has teeth like a beaver. It's the only primate with teeth like a beaver. They keep growing as long as it lives. And it has this long middle finger. Uh, you can see it. I'm not wired anything. Right there, that one that goes like that. Right there, that one. And it's got a hook on the end. So it will chew down into the tree, find the grub tunnel, take that long, skinny middle finger, this finger, doesn't look like it's other fingers, okay? There's no other primate like that. Where did that come from, if evolution is true? And it'll take that finger, stick it down in the grub tunnel, stab the grub, drag it out, and have lunch. Uh, you might say, have you ever heard of a creature that freezes up solid in the winter and then thaws out in the spring and walks away? No. Well, it's called a weta. And the weta is a big insect, and that's exactly what happens to it. Now, we were down passing out creation cards at a place where we live, where everybody goes on a Friday night. So we're down there passing out cards, and three teenage guys come along, three or four, and I, had, I said, hey guys, here, let me give you a card here, an animal card. Yeah, I'll take it, take it, take it. And this one guy takes, I, I hand the wetter. And he looks at it, and he says, I hate bugs. And he throws it on the ground. Here's what I do to bugs. And he stamps on the creation card. Now he's trying to upset me, you see, because that's what the devil wants to do. He wants to upset us. So you have to be praying, Lord. Now help me to love these people if they do something obnoxious. Okay, just help me to love him. Well, one of his buddies says, uh, why do I, I'd like to know about that thing. He bends down and picks it up. And I said, well, Lord, just let his buddy tell him about the weather, which he'll do. So he's going to get the information anyway. Uh, you don't get discouraged. You don't get discouraged. I'll show you some scripture about that in just a minute. Uh, what about a slow lurch? Can you name the only venomous primate? No. I've only had one person be able to say it's a slow lurch. I couldn't believe it. And uh, yeah, no, nobody knows about that. It's the venomous primate. Then you have an eye eye, a primate with teeth like a beaver and a finger that looks like a piece of wire and uh, other kind of things like that. Uh, or you might say, hey, do you know why a giraffe doesn't blow its brains up and it bends its head down to get a drink of water? Now you would say, well, how does this work? Okay, I'll show you how it works. We were up in Pennsylvania, and uh, we had about three hours before I'm supposed to speak. And my daughters needed something. So we drove by this mall, and as they're going in, we parked the van, I'm going to take a nap. They went in the mall. As they're going in the mall, out comes this gothic gang, okay? And it's like God is saying to me, and I don't hear a voice, I have this, Job, go talk to him. And they walked out of the mall and walked in behind these bushes. And I said, no way. 
I'll never come out alive. I'm not going behind those bushes. And it was like, God, yeah, go on, go on. I'm not hearing a voice. I just know I'm supposed to go talk to them. And I don't want to. Okay. But I was like, okay. All right, God. And uh, so I got out of the van. I walked behind the bushes. I'm praying. What do we do? Pray first. I'm praying. Okay, Lord, what am I going to say? So I get behind the van, behind the bushes, and they're puffing away on something. They were like 13, 14, 15, right around in there. And so I walk up and I, hey, uh, y'all hanging out? And one of them says, what's it look like? And I says, well, and I'm praying. And I said, well, uh, I mean, here they are. The girls had this black makeup. And they, one guy had piercings clear across his upper lip. I'm a dentist. I can't think of anything more painful. And, uh, and they had tattoos and all this stuff. And so I uh, said, uh, hey, uh, how do you all know each other? Do you all go to the same church? <laughs> and one guy yells, no way. Of course, they look like demons, you know. And uh, so I said, uh, well, how do you know each other? And one of them said, well, our parents drop us off at the mall every Saturday afternoon. And they had formed a gothic gang. At one point, there were 22 of them came in behind the bushes. I had an hour with those kids. So my next question, I'm really praying now. Well, Lord, here I am. And they're listening, and here's this old man talking to these kids, and I even had a sport coat on. <laughs> and uh, so I said, well, look, let me ask you all a question. I said, does anybody know why a giraffe doesn't blow its brains out when it bends its head down to get a drink of water? And one of them said, who cares? And another one said, I'd like to know. I had an hour with those kids. I said, you know what? Oh, by the way, about half an hour into this thing, two policemen come back behind the bushes. <laughs> What's going on back here? I said, oh, we're talking about the Bible and Jesus. Oh, keep it up, buddy. <laughs> and, uh, and then one, one of them yelled, is there anything written about this? Because right, I said several animals. And, is there, are there any movies or anything? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I ran back to the van, got a whole arm loaded. I want one. They didn't go away. They stayed there. I want one. I want one. So one said, well, just how, why doesn't a giraffe blow its brains out? I said, well, hold your eye about 18 feet tall. Some of you could probably tell them this, right? Bull giraffe, about 18 feet tall, has a powerful pump. That's its heart. The heart of a bull giraffe weighs up to 25 pounds. It's like a big turkey in there. And when that thing squeezes, it shoots that blood up that long skinny neck against gravity. And he's doing just fine. But now he's got something happening. He's going to bend his head down and get a drink of water. So he bends his head down to get a drink of water. And the big pump goes squeeze. And the blood now, instead of going against gravity, the blood is going with gravity, and the blood goes zoom, and it hits his brains and blows his brains out of his ears. And he must be thinking, I got a problem. When I bend my head down to get a drink of water, I blow my brains out. I'm going to have to evolve something here to fix this problem. Well, dead animals can't evolve. They can't fix any problems, but of course he doesn't blow his brains out. Why? Because as he bends his head down, our creator, the Lord Jesus, it tells us three times in the New Testament he's the creator. Anybody know where those are? John 1? Colossians 1? It's getting better. It's getting better. That was an A. You'll get a gold star. Okay. All right. So, where was I? Oh, yeah. As he puts his head down, there's these little valves, like little spigots in the, in the artery that goes up the neck. And on our DVD, the, uh, they did this and they got the colors wrong. 
Uh, it's red and blue. They may reverse them. But anyway, uh, he puts it, the valve's closed, but the last pulse of blood is beyond the last valve when his head is down, and it's under enough pressure to burst the little arterioles in his brain. But the last pulse doesn't go into the brain. The last pulse goes whoop, underneath the brain into like a sponge. And the sponge gently expands. He gets his drink of water. He's doing just fine. And here comes a lion. He says, i got to get out of here. He jumps up. He runs about three steps. Boom. Passes out. Not enough oxygen to the brain. So he must be thinking, I've got another problem. When I get up too fast, I pass out. And the lions eat me. I'm going to have to evolve something here to fix this problem. Dead animals can't fix any problems. They're dead. Okay, but he doesn't pass out. Because as he comes up, those valves open. The sponge under the brain, it's called the reaper. Miraculous, and it squeezes and puts that oxygenated blood up in his brain, and he does he does just fine. Only God could do that. Okay? So I gotta share that. And a woodpecker, and a bombardier beetle, and a gospel with these gothic kids. And then we went to the church that night. And uh, two two men said, We'll go out next Saturday. Anyway, the NEA convention. Uh, we're not there this year because it's right now. So you might pray for them. The Answers in Genesis has a booth where they hand out free stuff. We just go as volunteers. And, and we always have a banner. That was this year. That's Grace Malley. Some of you know the bright lights. And that's Grace. And uh, Tony Ramsek runs it. And uh, what a place to get to share the gospel with pagans called school teachers. Praise God we still have some Christian school teachers out there. But I'll guarantee you we have, well, out of 10 to 15,000 teachers, 20 to 30 will come by the booth and thank us for being there. Hey, brother, we're sure glad you're here. Most of them are the black teachers. They're not ashamed of the gospel, okay? Anyway, good place to go. If you ever want to hit these teachers, they have cursed us out to our face. They've given us obscene gestures. Uh, the homosexuals will do things in front of our booth. Uh, just fascinating, just fascinating. So. 1 Peter 4, look at this. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. So I'm going to go out and share the gospel. Well, for some of us, that would be a fiery trial. As though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you're partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. Now look at this. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, oh, you're one of those Christians. Oh, get away from me. Get away. I'm getting out of here. If you're reproached for the name of Christ, what does it say? Happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part is evil spoken of, but on your part is glorified. Well, I mean, if we get reproached for the name of Christ, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon us, I'll take as much of that as I can get. He said, be happy if you get reproached. You don't get discouraged. Look at this one, Luke 6, 22 and 23. Blessed are ye. When? When are we blessed? When men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company. Hey, don't you come around. I'm not, I don't want you around here anymore. Don't you, Christian, get, uh, get out of here. And they shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy. Well, I just got reproached. I just got rejected. I just got kicked out of the club because I'm a Christian. 
Rejoice in that day, he says. For your reward is great in heaven. See, our reward isn't here. We don't have to have the rewards of acceptance. Uh, we don't. We're not obnoxious, of course. But he says, your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner did the fathers to the prophets. I was at a camp for about 16 years, one way or another, called Summit Ministries in Manitou Springs, Colorado. That's an old hippie town. And uh, one day, a young man had never shared the gospel, and he saw this verse. Mark Cahill shared the verse. And he saw the verse. He decided he was going to go downtown and share the gospel. So he went downtown with two of his buddies, and they took uh, their Bibles, and he took his Bible, and there's an old hippie sitting on the curb, and you talk to these old hippies, and their eyeballs are doing this when you're talking to them, because they got on drugs, and they lost it. And, uh, but some of them can still kind of think. And uh, so he just opened his Bible in front of this old hippie. And he got into Romans, and he said, look right, right here, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He turned the page. It says right here, for the wages of sin is death. And the old hippie grabbed his Bible and started ripping the pages out of his Bible and throwing them in the street. And this young man looked at his buddies. He said, guys, I think we're getting reproached for the sake of Christ. Let's leap for joy. So they start leaping for joy in front of this old hippie. I'm sure he thought he was having a flashback or something. And what does it say? You don't get discouraged. You don't think, I'm not going to go share the gospel because I'll get rejected. By the way, most times you won't be rejected. Most people, if you go in love and you look them in the eye and you try to smile, they'll listen to you. Most of them will. Anyway, uh, then sometimes they'll try to divert you. And here's some ways they try to divert you. They'll say strange things like, well, there is no right or wrong. Well, now, you've got to be able to talk about this a little bit. So they just told you there is no right or wrong. So how can we talk to them about that? You say, well, let's think about this for just a minute. The assumption behind your sentence is that you're right in saying there is no right or wrong. So are you really right to say there is no right or wrong? It seems to me you've just negated yourself. Oh, uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe this person has a brain after all. Maybe I should listen to them. Or uh, there are no absolutes. Well, there are no absolutes. You're saying you're absolutely, this is Jesus, this is that. There are no absolutes. Well, that sense is intended to be an absolute statement. Okay? So you have to say, wait a minute, if there's no absolutes, then your sense isn't intended to be an absolute. That means your sense means nothing. Uh, or they'll say, well, who's to say? Or who are you to say? Well, that sentence is trying to silence somebody taking a position. But if somebody says to you, well, who are you to say, or who's to say, that is taking a position. So they just negated themselves too. Or they'll say, well, everything's relative anyway. It's all relative. You say, well, then if everything is relative, then your sentence there is relative too, so it doesn't mean anything either, does it? And you just talk to them a little bit, because they think you don't have a brain. If you believe in a young earth, you believe in creation, you believe in God, they really absolutely think you don't have a brain. I'll tell you, one time at the NEA convention, I'm here passing out stuff beside a cardiologist. All right? So here's the cardiologist, here's me, and here comes this science teacher, 10th grade science. She's walking up to us, she's a big lady, and she just struts up, and she says, I teach science. 
And uh, how did, what else did she say? Do you remember right off the bat, I just lost her. Yeah, she said, you creationists, you don't know anything about science. And here's the doctor. He said, well, Dr. Martin, here's a dentist. He has to know something. And I'm a cardiologist. If I didn't know anything about science, my patients would be dead. <laughs> and her jaw dropped open. And she's looking right at us, and she starts backing up like, <laughs> just like that. She couldn't believe that somebody actually had a brain that believed what the Bible said. She absolutely couldn't believe it. Anyway, uh, what time is it? 10 o'clock. <laughs> uh, just a few quick examples, all right? University of Minnesota. First time I go there, they give me two hours to talk, two hours to throw tomatoes. That's called questions. And uh, so about an hour into this thing, this man stands up, introduces himself as the head of the atheist society. And the atheist and the humanist, every time I've been there, have canceled their meetings to come and fill the front of the auditorium. And they hiss the whole time you're speaking. They're the so the last time that I was there, they were like, and I finally said, that sounds to me like the escape of self-esteem. But anyway, uh, they hiss away. So he stands up, introduces himself as the head of the Atheist Society, and he starts giving a lecture on the benefits of atheism and evolutionism. Now, they want me to get angry, and that's what your flesh is saying. Your flesh is saying, grab the guy and throw him out, okay? But the Lord is saying, Love them. My wife is our friend. Help Job to love them. Help him not to lose it. Okay? Help him. So 15 minutes into this thing, I, I interrupted I interrupted him in my lecture. And I said, uh, say, would you mind telling me your name? So he told me his name. He's still there, by the way. And I said, I'm going to write your name down right here on my piece of paper here. And every time I give a talk, I'm going to see your name. And I'm going to pray that the Lord Jesus Christ will make himself unmistakably known to you. Is that okay with you? Now, most atheists, you ask them that, and they'll say, oh, no, don't bother. You're not talking to anybody. I'm not going to use your time. You know, they're very polite. And uh, he said, sure, you can pray that. My mother prays that every day. I said, your mother's a friend of mine already. And he sat down. I said, thank you, Lord. We got rid of him. All right, the next time I'm there, here he comes again. And he had written me some nasty emails in the meantime. He's got a whole armload of stuff. He said, I got some stuff I want to say this year, too. Ah, let's see how it goes. And, well, about an hour into this thing, he gets up, goes up to the blackboard, starts writing notes on the blackboard and giving all this stuff. And I'm praying, Lord, how are we going to get rid of him? Well, I got the urge to go give him a hug. So he's writing on the blackboard. I walked over. I grabbed my sponge around and said, give me a hug. Oh, I gave him a big hug. He looked at me. And he went and sat down. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Uh, the last time I was there, he didn't come. But anyway, he's still there. Uh, I went to a Southern Baptist college in Texas. And the night before I'm due to speak, I've been there before, the head chaplain calls up. Uh, Dr. Martin, the science department has come and told me that you have to guarantee them you will not talk about the days in Genesis. And if you will not guarantee them, you're not going to be allowed to speak in chapel tomorrow. 
So I said, well, let's we'll, we'll talk and pray and see what we think. Well, they asked me to talk about animals. So we prayed and thought, okay, I called him back. Yeah, we can do it. I can guarantee you, I will not talk about the days in Genesis. But I did talk about animals. And every single animal, I had to tell them, there's no way this thing could evolve over millions of years. Why, this thing had to be created fully mature with all of its everything. You can't have a partially evolved valve in a giraffe's neck or it's dead. So it wouldn't matter how many millions of years you have. God created these things fully mature in an instant. And uh, anyway, then there were another Christian college in Tennessee. And uh, a student had reserved the auditorium. And when the administration of this Southern Baptist Christian college heard that I believed in a young earth and a flood that covered the whole world, the administration came down and locked us out of the auditorium. So the football coach said, come on, we'll go down to the football. We'll do it down there. And so we did. That is the absolute worst we have ever had for hostility. And in the secular colleges, we'll take in cases of my book, Evolution of a Creationist. They're always gone. All of them. They're just gone. This college, we took three cases of books in. Was it two or three? They wouldn't even take my book. The students wouldn't even take my book. I could tell you what else happened there, but it'd take all night. Uh, anyway, you got to define your terms these days. All right, so uh, we're flying into Croatia, and my ladies are in the back of the plane. My seat was in the front of the plane, and I'm sitting next to a young lady, and I got my sport coat on, and she says, and there's God plopped me down in the middle of a bunch of college kids flying into Dubrovnik for some sort of independent study. And this girl next to me looks to me and she says, what are you doing going to Croatia? I guess I, because I had a sport coat on. I don't know. Well, I'm going to talk about the Bible and creation and Jesus. She said, Jesus? Who is Jesus? So I had about two hours. Started with the creation. Went all the way through. God started out perfect. Adam sinned. Then came death. Now we have to have a solution to this problem. So God himself steps in, does his miracles in Jesus, proves who he is. Jesus. Jesus dies on the cross. What? Gods don't die. That's foolishness. What's it saying? First Corinthians chapter 1. The cross is foolishness to the Gentiles. She said the very words and a stumbling block to the Jews. So I was able to give them my book and some different things. And, uh, or I'm up in Colorado, Colorado, Colorado Springs. I'm teaching a Bible study, motorcycle gang, some others here. And uh, I went through the gospel three different times. And at the end, this lady comes up, probably in her 30s, and she had on this leather and streamers and stainless steel. She said, hey, dude, that was really interesting. But who is this Jesus you keep talking about? The United States of America didn't have a clue. Why? Because the average Christian isn't telling anybody who Jesus is. We're silent out in the culture, okay? It's time we spoke up. And we don't have to fear it. Lord Jesus, help me get rejected today so I can leap for joy. How's that? Anyway, uh, we can witness from jewelry and clothes, too. It doesn't have to be creation. I mean, let's say you see somebody wears a cross, and there's lots of them out there. You walk up to them and say, hey, uh, that's, a, that's really a nice look. I guess they would say, cool. That's a cool cross. 
and they'll say, uh, oh yeah, yeah, I bought this over here and I really like it. Did you know the cross is a tool for execution? No. Yes. Our God Jesus died on a cross. It's a Roman tool for execution. And then took it to the gospel. Or maybe go off there. People wear the strangest things on their t-shirts. So you read the t-shirt and then you try to talk from it. Like look at this one. I'm listening. That's perfect. You're listening. It says there on your t-shirt. You're listening. I got something I'd like to say. Would you be willing to listen to me? Well, they've already said they're listening. Okay. So they're going to listen. Anyway. See, it, it, it can be fun. And you can do it as a family. And, and you can... By the way, the person that's talking, everybody else is praying. Okay? That's the prayer team. All right? Um, sharing hope with the lost. Most Christians don't ever share the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christians don't know what the Bible verses are to share, so to keep quiet. Or maybe we fear rejection, so we keep... You don't have to fear rejection. You get rejected. The spirit of glory rests upon you. Or maybe we're too selfish. Because this is the first generation of people on the planet Earth that would rather take their own picture than somebody else's picture. They got the camera aimed toward them instead of out that way. That's where we are right now. Total selfishness, okay? Well, anyway. So do you know even the Romans wrote? Once you establish the fact there's a creator, his name is Jesus, and then what does he say? Well, he says we're all sinners. We've all stolen something. We've all lusted. We've all... Done something bad. And uh, so I put him each here. All of sin comes short of the glory of God. That means everybody's on their way to hell. God doesn't send anybody to hell. You choose to go there. Because I got I, there's another choice here. Believe in me. Repent. Turn from your sin. Romans 6:23. For the wages of sin is death. You earn it. <coughs> the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we were at Bloomsburg University up in Pennsylvania. And I was speaking there, and it was a bunch of hippies and other people. And, and I decided to try and make my point here that we earn death. That's the wages. But God gives us a free gift. So I reached into my pocket, and I pulled out what I thought was a $1 bill. Okay? And I says, would anybody like to have a gift of money? And this hippie in the way that I, yeah, yeah, I would. He comes running down. I looked down. Ah! Oh, it was my $50 reserve fund. I always keep a $50 reserve fund, okay? I'm thinking, oh no, what am I gonna do? He comes running down there, and, uh, and I, I said, well, this is a free gift. Do you have it? No. I said, what are you gonna have to do to get it? Well, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna have to receive it here somehow. I said, well, have you received it? No. So I said, well, you just have to kind of reach out and receive it. So he reached out and took it. Boom, bam, ran to the back. There went my reserve fund. And, but he got the idea, it was a gift. Well, after that, I didn't know there was an attorney in the back. He comes up afterwards. He said, boy, that was really a good illustration. He handed me a $100 bill. He said, do that some more. <laughs> so I gave away 50, I got 100 back. Anyway, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Oh yeah, so I did that. Two times at the same place, not realizing it was at the same place. And I did it with the same young lady that was sitting in the front row. And I said, Doug, this is a gift. Would you like to have 
She said, well, you, you gave me that before. <laughs> that was out of Minnesota. Uh, anyway, Romans 5 eight. But God commends his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Think about that. You don't have to work up some kind of ethical standard. You don't have to work up some sort of virtue. I've heard, I've heard, I've heard people tell me right to my face, well, you know, as you get older, you get more virtuous, and God finally says, come on in. No, that's not how it happens. If our yet sinners, Christ died for us, what do we need to do? If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart, God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Resurrection is part of the gospel. Have you believed? Have you ever confessed with your mouth Jesus as your Lord? Do you believe God raised him from the dead? That's the gospel. Ephesians 2, for by grace you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not of works. Lest any man should boast. And then John 3, 16, the verse that brought me into the family. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that's Jesus, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I hope you have trust. It's an empty tomb. By the way, there's three tombs over there in Israel. All three of them are empty. Okay? Conclusion. Know with conviction Jesus is your creator and savior, and that his word in Genesis is literally true, which it is. Get some comfort zone creation facts if you're going to use creation. Ready? I think families ought to make your own track. Compose your own track as a family. And you can give, hey, this is some of our, what our family has learned or something, and it's easy. Uh, pray first. Always pray first while you're walking into a situation. Your goal with creation science evangelism, engage people with some sort of aspect of creation, but get them to the gospel. We're not trying to convince them to be a creationist. We just want to get to the gospel as soon as we can. But it's easy to get diverted. So don't let yourself get diverted. What's our job? Give an answer. By the way, look what it says. To every man that asks you a reason of the hope that's in you. When's the last time somebody asked you, hey, what, what is it about you? What's special about you? Why do you respond like that? Well, why don't you get angry when somebody does this or that? What, what's, what, there's something going on here. What is that? When's the last time somebody asked you? Or do you look so much like the world and act like the world and do the things of the world and you're just like the world? Nobody sees anything different. We have the answer. 1 Peter 4. If you reproach for the sake of Christ, happy are you. How about Luke 6? If they hate you, separate you, reproach you, cast your name out, Leap for joy. Rejoice. Leap for joy. What a wonderful thing. And remember, we can't save anybody. Uh, only God saves people. John 6, 44, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. So, do we have the heart of Jesus when we witness? What's he said? He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the Father's heart. So, you know, I wonder if this would play. I'm going to try it. Hmm? Crimson worm. Yes. Yeah, according to one group, only about 1% of the people who call themselves Christians ever share the gospel even one time in their entire life. Only about 5% ever read the Bible all the way through in their entire life that call themselves Christians. Now, let's see if we can do this. A lot of young people like technology. So, this is only a few seconds. What? Yeah, yeah, my daughter says, don't forget, we don't really like the background music. Some of it we don't like. But it's something young people can do that like technology. 
Maybe. Maybe not. We're going to the incredible worm. It didn't want to do that. So let's look at the incredible worm. The crimson worm, the scarlet worm. Now, two years ago on Good Friday, crucifixion day, I was asked to do a devotional at a church. So I decided, you know what? I'm going to go to Psalm 22. That's the crucifixion psalm. That's the one Jesus says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There's things in that psalm that Jesus is either thinking, saying out loud, or saying to the Heavenly Father. And in verse 6, he says this, but I am a worm. And I thought, whoa, this is Jesus on the cross, and he's saying, I am a worm. And I thought, what on earth? What, what worm? So I decided to look it up. Well, it's not the normal Hebrew word for worm. The normal Hebrew word for worm is remah. But he, Jesus, used the word tolaoth, the tolaoth worm. That is a special worm. It's called the crimson worm or the scarlet worm. Well, so Jesus, at his crucifixion, equates himself with the crimson worm or the scarlet worm. It's just a little worm, but it's very special. So we're going to look at it. Its scientific name is Caucasus illicis, or Kermes illicis. And uh, why would Jesus identify himself with that worm? Well, it's distribution around the Middle East there in Israel and everywhere. It's, it's well known. What's the mama worm do? When the mama worm is ready to lay her eggs, she climbs up on a tree. If there's no tree, she'll climb up on a fence post. And she attaches herself to the tree. What did Jesus say? I am that worm when he is attached to the tree. Inside this little shell she makes, she lays her eggs. And then the eggs hatch. And for the first three days, the babies uh, consume the body of the mother. What did Jesus say? This is my body, take, eat. And while they're doing that, she oozes a bright red crimson fluid, and that's where the worm gets its name the crimson worm. Jesus shed his red blood attached to that tree. The red fluid stains the tree and the young worms are covered and permanently stained with it. Jesus, when we're covered in his blood, it's permanent. After three days, the young worms are ready to leave the shell. So they leave. The mother is still attached to the shell and to the tree. She dies so that she can birth a family. So did Jesus. On day four, the mother worm's tail pulls up toward her head into like a heart shape, but it's no longer red. In a matter of minutes, it turns snow white, and it's like a wax. It looks like a piece of wool stuck on the side of a tree. And then the wax begins to flake off, and it looks like snow dropping to the ground. So Isaiah 118. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, tone off. That's the word right there in that verse. They shall be as wool. While the worm's remains and shell are still red and attached to the tree, they're scraped off and used down to this very day to make royal red dye. The white waxy material is used to make a high-quality shellac, which is used as a wood preservative in the Middle East. Jesus is our preservative. The worm's remains are also used to make a medicine that aids in the regulation of the human heartbeat. 
Jesus is life. He gives us life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The red dye was used to dye the high priest's robe red, and probably the dye that was used to dye the ram skin's covering that covered the temple in the wilderness. We are covered with the red blood of Jesus. So, Psalm 22, 6, I'm a worm, total off. Isaiah 1, 18, though your sins be red like the crimson worm, they shall be as wool. And then he uses it again in Isaiah 66, 24. And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me. So these are sinners who died. They never repented. They never trusted Christ. They never put their faith and trust in him. Their sins were not forgiven. He says, for their worm, Tola'ah, shall not die. Well, wait a minute. If the worm didn't die, it couldn't give birth to the family. If Jesus didn't die, if you can't believe Jesus died, you can't be birthed into the family. So Jesus quotes this one in Mark in the New Testament. Mark chapter 9. We'll get down to verse 47. If thy eye offend thee, plug it out. It's better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire where their worm dieth not. There it is. Right out of Isaiah 66. And the fire is not quenched. So what if the Tola'ah didn't die? Well, if the crimson worm didn't die, she couldn't give birth to her family. If a person rejects the Lord Jesus as his or her personal Savior in order to keep living according to the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life, 1 John 2, the tormenting worm will never die. The lake of fire is your eternal destination. That's all there is to it. So what do we do? We'll receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You'll have a new birth, a birth that's now possible because Jesus sacrificed his life willingly on Calvary's tree. Jesus died so that you can live. The mother Tola'ah dies so that her babies can live. Jesus equated himself with the Tola'ah crimson worm. The mother crimson worm willingly climbs onto a tree to die to birth her family. Jesus willingly went to the cross to die so that we could live eternally with him as his family. The baby worms are covered with the red fluid of the dying mother worm just as we're covered with the red blood of Jesus and are washed as white as snow. Almost all things are by law purged with blood. Without shedding of blood is no remission. Hebrews 9.22. Ephesians 1, 6 and 7. To the praise and the glory of his grace wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved in whom we have redemption through his blood forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Job mentions the Tola'ah. I think this is fascinating. Job says this in 25 verse 6. How much less man that is a worm remote. Normal word for worm. That's the strongest number. And the son of man, which is a worm, Tola'ah. Was Job inspired by the Holy Spirit, prophesying that one day the Son of Man would come and he would be like the, trim, the crimson worm attached to a tree to shed his red blood to give birth to his family, which is us, if we have put our faith and trust in him. Have you put your faith and trust in him, our Savior, our Creator? I hope you have. So we need some questions. Are there any questions? Good. Service is over. No. Is there a question?
By the way, I knew nothing about this word until two years ago when I looked up that word and it reminded me we're so sloppy when we read God's word. We just read it, okay, I read it. There are so many things in there that are just wonderful. I'll give you one more example. The angels, when they announced to the shepherds, you'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. Notice, they didn't tell him what manger. There must have been hundreds of mangers over there. It was an agrarian society. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. They knew exactly where to go because there's only one manger that used swaddling cloths. That's what the cloths were called that cleaned up the lambs that were born in that manger because that was the priest's manger and those were the lambs that were going to be cleaned up, wrapped in the swaddling cloths and taken in for the temple sacrifice. It is almost a certainty that Jesus was born in the very manger, it was called Migdal Eder by the way, that the high priest and the priest prepared the sacrifices and he was wrapped in the sacrificial robe as a baby. He came to be the sacrifice for our sin. One little word, swaddling. And we just read over it and don't think a thing about it. Yeah. We need to be good students of God's Word. And don't just read over it. Let's stop every now and then and take a look at something. Wait a minute. What, what about that? What about that? And do a little study. Okay, question. Yes, who? What's your favorite animal and why? My favorite animal is da, 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 the giraffe. I'd have to say, I've been talking about giraffes since 1972. And I, I love to talk about the giraffe because I've seen what it does, okay? I will go places, and I start talking in 1972, and I'll be somewhere, and some family will come up, and the dad or the mom, Dr. Martin, when I was in first grade, you came to our school, or you came to our Sunday school, or you came to our church, and you told us about that giraffe, and I want you to know that giraffe took me all the way through college. And I'll say, what do you mean? I know what they mean. What do you mean? Well, every time I started thinking, you know what? Maybe this evolutionary professor has some, some interesting, maybe this is really true. God will remind me, there's no way that giraffe could evolve. And it brings me back. General revelation, the creation. It builds our faith and trust. And God can use it to remind us I gotta be here. I'm the only one who can do that. It couldn't be here without me. So yeah, the giraffe. And now I really kind of like some of these newer ones that I've been talking about, like Neuterbronx and I eyes that have these really strange things, slow loris, because I know almost nobody's ever heard of them. And so it's kind of fun to talk about those because people are, oh, I never heard about that. And then you can say, well, the reason why is because we live in Satan's world system. And that information is censored out in Satan's world system. Because it's going to make you think, maybe there is a God. It doesn't fit evolution. Maybe, maybe there has to be a God. And they don't want you to think that way. So you can kind of take the gospel that way too. Good. Another question? Uh, do any of you young people have a favorite animal that you could talk about? 
Who has a favorite animal that they could talk about? Anybody? Is there anybody here that does not have a favorite animal? Oh, everybody has a favorite animal. All right, do you know how to talk about your favorite animal? That's all I'm trying to say. It's just to try to engage someone in a conversation. And by the way, people really do like to get into conversations these days because most people aren't conversing with anybody. And we have a whole generation of young people who don't know how to converse with anybody because their conversation has all been right here. But eyeball to eyeball, they just panic. They can't do it. Okay? But you can get them to talk. Good. Another question? Well, tomorrow, I, 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 uh, I'm going to combine the two talks so that I can give my last talk on a little bit different. Okay? So the first service, I'm, I'm talking about uh, media, social media, and discernment. My, my last talk before I leave town, and I hope I don't have to leave fast, <laughs> is going to be on teaching our children to love Jesus. Okay? Because something's happening. Something is happening. And we're raising children who know how to obey rules, they know how to do principles, but they're not loving Jesus. So that's going to be the talk, if it's okay with the pastor. I didn't ask him. Now, now I put him on the spot. If he says it's okay, I'll do it. We'll talk later. And if he says, no, let's just keep the schedule like it was, that's what we'll do too. And then I'll just have to come back and sit. So that's going to be tomorrow. Are there no more questions? Well, then I'll turn it over to the pastor. And if you have any questions, you can ask him. <laughs> oh, yeah, don't forget, we want each family, make sure you have your free book. That talks about some animals in there. They're easy to talk. You can talk to each other about it. Teach each other, and then you can teach somebody else. And then we want every family to pick up a box of animal cards. Okay. By the way, the giraffe came out nice. I mean, that's really a nice picture of a giraffe. I might add, in this book, the pictures of the animals, they were all drawn by a 12-year-old boy. 12-year-old boy with no art. I watched him draw my giraffe, and uh, he didn't have a picture. He drew it right out of his head in 10 minutes. Just unbelievable and so when you look at the pictures you'll know it was a little 12 year old boy he said dr martin could i do some pictures for your book and i said sure thinking i'm probably gonna throw them out whoa they were really good and so you young people we need young people who have gifts in different ways who can do some things to honor our lord use your gifts to honor our lord and uh, that's what I have to say, Pastor.